it's not that. Hmm. That's okay, honey. Okay. So Matthew six verse seven. Um, I just kind of wanted to do a thing on. Um, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to do a thing on praying through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I know at first that that sounds kind of cheesy and everything, but, um, um, well, I should go ahead and turn there. But Jesus, in, in response to his disciples asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray, this is what he gave to them. And um, we, to turn. Matthew right. 6, verse 7, I already okay. told them. Um, mo- you know, we were all raised, grow- you know, we all grew up, you know, reciting the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven and things like that. And so um, when we talk about praying the Lord's Prayer, it's not like saying the rosary or, or just kind of just speaking the words out in our Father who art in heaven, you know, just kind of mindlessly saying it and stuff. But it's looking at the Lord's Prayer as a template. And if you if you look at it as a template, not saying that that's how you would pray every time, because you know prayer is a living thing, right? And um, prayer um, kind of meet is there to uh, meet the needs or the situation as we need it, right? So you know you might be in a situation where you're about to have a car wreck and you're like Jesus help, you know, and that's your prayer. But I'm talking about you know times, because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes. When you have like a quiet time or you have a time of prayer with the Lord, you're like, I don't know what to pray, right? And stuff. And so in those times, you can use this as kind of a template. And again, it's not like when I say that, I'm not saying it as a mindless thing. I'm saying it as just using it as guidelines about things to pray for. Because really, as we read it and we go through it, we're going to see that it really literally contains everything in it, essentially, that you need to pray for, right? So in uh, verse 7, it says, uh, well, we'll start in verse 5. It says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you that they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that their words will be heard for their many words. They suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you, before you ask them. He says in verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so the, the thing that I see about this is that immediately when he begins to pray, immediately he starts off with worship, right? Um, I don't know about you guys, but so often a, a lot of our prayer times are we're praying because we need God to do something. We need God to move on our behalf. We've, we've got a tough situation or whatever. Our car breaks down and stuff. And we're like, God help me, you know, and stuff. And God does honor those prayers. But the best kind of prayer is when we can come before God and we take our time and just soak in his presence and, and we just start out with worship, you know? And, and that's the beauty with like, Everyone here pretty much knows how to play an instrument and stuff. The whole reason why I learned to play the guitar is so that I could worship God, right? And stuff. And, and I mean, the, honestly, the best thing that we can do as believers is just worship the Lord and stuff. And the beauty of that is, is it's like, you know, when, when uh, you know, when, 
for those of us that have kids, you know, you know what it's like for your kid to come up and say, oh, I love you and stuff. And you're like, what do you want? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so when, when we just take our time and we just take some time in the presence of the Lord, just worshiping him and telling him, Lord, I don't care if you give me what I want. If you don't give me what I want, I'm just going to tell you that I love you and that I worship you, that you're holy. And, and again, in it's also putting ourselves in a right frame of mind, right? Because again, you know, the, the whole thing about praying and reading your Bible, they become, they, it, it can, they can easily become something that's just forced, right? Something that we do because of repetition, something that we do because we feel that we need to, or what have you and stuff. And so my thing here is to get us to try to pray in such a way that it's pleasing to him right? And so when we come into the Lord's presence and we're like, you know what? I'm just going to take some time right now, Lord, and worship you. I'm just going to take some time and just tell you that I'm grateful for what you've done for me, that I'm thankful for what you've done for me. And, uh, you know, and just spend some time worshiping him. Because again, like I say, too often, we just come for whatever we can, we can get out of him and stuff. And in a lot of ways, it's the same as a worship service, you know, like when you go to church or what have you and stuff. I mean, we always start out in worship and praise, right? Because, um, I mean, it, it brings the presence of the Lord. But more importantly than that, it's us coming to him with gratitude in our hearts and letting him know that we're, that we're thankful. That we are thankful and we're grateful for what he's done for us. And we're not just using him for whatever we can get out of him. Does that make sense? Um, turn to uh, Genesis 16. So in what we just read there, it says, um, in verse 8, it says, Don't be like the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And in Genesis chapter 16, I just wanted to look at that because a lot of times when we pray, you know, and that's the thing about prayer. Sometimes prayer... You know, you, you go through seasons where like prayer is just so powerful and so meaningful in your life. And it's like, man, you really feel like you're connecting with God and, and he's connecting with you. And it's this back and forth thing that's just really so awesome and precious. And there's other times and it happens with all of us. I don't care who you are. There are times when you're praying before, to, to the Lord and it's like, are my prayers even going beyond the ceiling, right? I mean, is it, and it feels like God's not even there. It feels like you're just like in the room by yourself and stuff. And, you know, and God, and again, when we come and we worship him and we're focusing our hearts and our minds on him and we're, we're shutting out all the distractions and saying, Lord, I'm just going to spend this time on you. It's also, like I said, getting ourselves in a proper state of mind. Just like uh, um, Isaiah, when he says, when he said he saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and he was exalted and he saw the throne and stuff. And this is the God that we're praying to, right? We're not just praying to some dead wooden idol. We're not praying, we're not praying to a, a statue that sits on our, our, our dashboard, right? We're praying to the living God. We're praying to a God who already knows what we need. A God who is there for us, who is there with us, who knows what our heart's desire is, but he loves being with us, right? And in Genesis 16, 1, because again, like I say, a lot of times we forget that God's with us, right? And in uh, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she, he, she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. 
So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to, his, to the voice of Sarai. Now this is, again, after God had already promised Abraham that through Sarah, his wife, they were going to have a child, right? And like, like we do oftentimes, instead of waiting for God to, to move, we kind of try to do it ourselves and stuff. So... So Sarai gives Abram her maid, and they go, and they, he lays with her, and they have a child who's Hagar and stuff. And, uh, and in verse 4, or verse 3, Now Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and when she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Now again, you have to keep in mind that back in their days, the biggest thing that a wife could do, the main, the greatest function of a wife was to bear children. Because it, the, the, the greatest function of the wife was, pre, was to create a lineage for her husband, right? And so Hera, uh, Sarai, to this point, had not borne any children. So now her maid bears her children, and immediately she's jealous, Right? And says, and Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong, may the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. I mean, this is just such an awesome picture just humankind right and just the jealousies that people have and stuff like that so here um sarah says okay you can have my maid and you know have a child with her and stuff and then abram does it and then she's mad at him right <laughs> and stuff and so and that's the way you know essentially it's a picture of sin right you give into the flesh and it it reaps all these bad results and things so sarah or hagar runs away and it says in verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Now, I think that this is awesome, okay? Because Sarai was just a slave, right? She was a servant. She's basically in the house. Uh, Abram, now, like you've, you've read the stories of Abraham and stuff and how he was the richest man in the world, basically, at this time and stuff. He had all kinds of servants working for him, all kinds of slaves and everything. In his household, she was nothing. She was just another slave, another servant, even to the point to where... Um, there was no problem with, with Sarai mistreating her and beating her and, and, and treating her bad and stuff, right? So she is essentially a nobody, and yet this nobody, the Lord hears her, and the Lord responds to her. And he says, the angel of the Lord said to her before, be further, behold you, in verse 11, behold you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her and said, You are a God who sees. Do you see that? 
And sometimes when we're getting beat by life and, and we've got all these circumstances against us and when no, nothing's going right and when everybody's upset with us and, and, and it seems like all hell's coming against your life and, you seem, and it seems like nobody cares and that you're not important to anybody, you're just this nobody and stuff, God sees, right? And so again, this is the God that we pray to. It's not just this, this God that's, that's um, austere, this God that doesn't care about what we go through. He cares about the things that we go through. And He's there for us, and He's there with us. And then in verse 13, Then she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her and said, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well where she was at was called Ber Lahai Roy, which is between Kedesh and Bered, which means the God who sees. So again, God is not some God that's far off. And no matter how we feel when we're praying, he's not distant. He's right there with us. And he's willing and eager to hear our prayers. And the Bible says he, he listens to the cries of his people and stuff. Um, and... But the thing is, is, and so the thing is, is, but he, it's an, and that's the thing that we, that's the thing that I forget a lot, right? Is I forget that it's an honor to come into the Lord's presence and that it's a privilege because even though he knows what he, what we're going to, you know what? God could just give us everything, right? He could just like, oh, you need a car? Here's a car. You need money? Here's money. You need a job? Here's a job. But he waits for us to come and ask him because he wants to spend time with us. Right? I mean, the Lord loves spending time with us more than we love spending time with him. Right? I, it's so easy for us to get distracted. It's so easy for us, you know, the phone rings or, or something happens that we have to go attend to and stuff. God loves spending time with us. And that's why he to a large degree he allows things to happen in our lives so that we will spend time with him have you ever noticed that sometimes when life is great you you really don't spend as much time with the lord as, as you did and stuff and then all the hell hits your life and then all of a sudden you're on your knees and you're praying god i need you and where are you god and you're you're fervent and you're there and stuff God allows things sometimes in our lives so that we will come to Him with the same passion and the same desire and the same fervor that He has for us, right? And it's really, I mean, it's a blessing. And if you look at it in that light, some of the things that happens to us that seem so bad, they're really the best things that could possibly even happen to us. I mean, I look at my childhood, you know, it, there was a lot of abuse. There was no one that cared about me and, and things like that. But, but I had a relationship with God. And I knew that when I would come and pray to Him, I could sense His presence. And I knew that He was there with me. And I knew that if no one else in the whole entire world cared about me, He cared about me. Right? And so He invites us into His presence. But the Bible says that we are to enter into His presence with thanksgiving. We are to enter into His presence with reverence. It's not just like, hey God, what's happening? You know, what's, you know how's it going? You know, and stuff like that. We come into His presence with reverence, knowing that He's the King, that He's the God. Amen? Doesn't it say that in the Lord's Prayer too? Like the beginning of it is praise? Yeah, that's what we're talking about, actually. Oh, I was in Genesis. Yeah. I thought you were reading oh, Genesis, okay. so... So, uh, and again, and it's our fa he's our father. Um, 
In Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 10. And that's the thing, is a lot of times we realize or we believe in our minds that God loves us. In the same way, like, and, and again, a lot of times our relationships are with God are, are kind of ground and, and founded upon our relationship with our parents and stuff. And it's like, for a lot of us that, that, whose parents weren't necessarily there, who, whose parents didn't really um, give us a lot of love or whatever, um, like, I, like my dad, for instance, would always tell me, well, I love you, but, you know, I show it through working or, you know what I'm saying? And stuff. And, but, and so we feel like, you know, that God is absent and stuff. And God is not absent. God loves us and he's always expressing to us his love. Right? And it's just like with the people of Israel, God told them to set up monuments because so often we forget the things that God does for us. And, and, and then when something bad happens, we're like, well, God, where are you when I need you? Amen. And then, um, let's see, where did we go? Oh, Matthew 10, verse 29. It says, um, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, think about this. I mean, like, like Amy and I will go walking sometimes and sometimes you'll see a dead bird or a dead animal by the side of the road and you're like, well, it's just a dead animal, right? But you know what? To God, that animal was important. And God cared about that animal and stuff. And even the things that we don't care about, like a, a bird by the side of the road, God cares about those things. He says, um, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. You see that? He says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. So again, this is not some distant God who doesn't care about us. When we come and we pray to him, we realize that he's the God that sees the things that I'm going through. He's the God that's there with me. He's the God that he, he doesn't leave me. He doesn't just wander off. He's always there. The Bible says in Psalms that he never slumbers or sleeps, right? Um, so, and it says the very hairs of our head are numbered. And so um, back to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to kind of be jumping back and forth. So if you got like a bookmark or something like that that you can put there. He says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, and again, we're remembering that, you know what? God is in heaven and I'm on the earth. Because again, you know, so, so often we tend to forget that. And there's even doctrines out in the church that says that, that people are saying, well, we're like little gods and stuff. And, you know, and, and sometimes we you know when you when you've been a christian for a while sometimes you can get pride in your heart right and we forget where we fought where we've come from that's why it's so awesome to have in our lives people that are just getting saved or people that are just getting born again that are excited about the things of god right because too often we, after being Christians a while, you forget the things that he has saved you from, right? Just like the people of Israel, God saved them. He, he brought 10 plagues upon the Pharaoh, 
to set them free. And in our lives, it's the same way. I don't know about you guys, but it took a lot to get me saved. Because God was working on my heart and he was sending people to, to share the mess, the gospel with me. And, and I, would, I would refuse it and things. And so God does all these things to set us free. And sometimes we kind of forget those things. And we start thinking that we're something when we're not and stuff. And, and the Bible says in Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my way or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So again, and that's why, again, it's good to, to, to look at those scriptures in Isaiah 6 and in Revelations where it talks about God seated on his throne and how all the angels and everyone around him is just filled with awe, filled with, with just worship at his presence because it's, the earth is filled with his glory, but we can't see it, right? And it's again, it's our mindset because we look in the flesh and he is in the spirit and we have to look through eyes of the spirit and see that he is exalted, that he's holy and that he is above all things and everything exists to glorify him. I exist to glorify him. I exist to do his will. I exist to be pleasing to him, right? And that's what this earth, he created the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of the, thereof. Everything in this world was created to glorify God. The Bible says it, when Jesus Jesus came in his triumphal entry and the people, the Pharisees tried to get the people to stop worshiping him. He said, if they stop, even the rocks will cry out and stuff. And so everything worships the Lord and stuff and everything exists to give him praise and to give him glory. And again, this is the God who we serve. He's not just some silent God. He's not just off in the atmosphere. He's living and he's within us and stuff. Amen. And so he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So the first priority after, after worship comes, your kingdom come, right? So, and I think that it's just awesome when, when, when Jesus is telling them how to pray, he's like, don't start off saying, Lord, I need this. I need a new set of clothes. I need, and, and these, these guys, they lived in Jerusalem. They, they were living hand to mouth, right? The disciples weren't rich by any stretch of the means. They weren't, you know, they weren't, um, you know, living in luxury townhouses and driving the latest chariots or anything like that. They were living hand to mouth. And so Jesus doesn't tell them, you know, when you go into prayer, don't just start off blabbing and saying, God, you know, I need this and I need these things and I need all this other stuff. He says, when you first come into prayer, enter in with praise. The Bible says, enter into his, thank his courts with thanksgiving and into his, his gates with praise and stuff and and then and then so we we come into the presence of god with worship we come into the presence of god with gratitude in our hearts because we can be a very ungrateful people right um just like children sometimes you get all the things that you want and you're like you want more right and stuff and so we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and then the focus becomes on his kingdom right because too often I'm concerned about my kingdom. I'm concerned about my problems. I'm concerned about um, my this or my that or whatever and stuff. And, and that's not to say that we don't have big problems, right? You might have a house where your leak is, or your roof is leaking. 
you might have a car that's you know all four of the tires are bald and they're they're about to come off the car and stuff um, you might have kids that, that are hungry or something like that. It's not negating any of that, but it's saying that what is more important than that is the kingdom of God. Lord, what are your needs, right? And that's the whole thing. Again, we were created for him. We were created for his will. We were created to do his will and stuff. And so God wants to bless us right god wants to give us the things that we need just like we read before he already knows before we even ask him what we need and stuff but is when i come to him is it all about me is it all about my needs and again this is just a loose template right and it's not like you have to get everything in order you have to say do this order and this order and stuff it's not like that at all right and stuff i mean you may just and sometimes you may come into the presence of the lord god i need this you know i need for my wife to start being angry at me or i need you know a new roof on my house or whatever and stuff but i'm just saying that all these are important factors that jesus says all these are what make a truly great time of prayer right not as a formula but there should be lots of praise in there there should be lots of gratitude there should be lots of, of worship and stuff and there's there's place in prayer to ask god for the things that we need but there's also a place where we remember his needs Priority number one. we remember his kingdom john three sixteen says that he sent his son to save the whole world right this is his will this is his desire and I look at the world and I look at the things that are going on and it's not happened right and it is not happening he's also said that he wants a church a bride that's without spot without blemish or any such thing like that I look at the church and I don't see that either and so part of my prayer is God this world that you came that you sent your son to die for is lost and it's broken and it's blind and it's bound under the rule and the authority of Satan. Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and holiness. Right? Mm -hmm. And so part of, part of my prayer, when I read this, I see that part of my prayer when I come to the Lord and pray is I'm praying for His kingdom because His kingdom is not coming. We are in a time right now when the church is regressing, right, instead of advancing. But the Bible says that Jesus said upon the confession that you are the son of uh, the Christ, the son of the living God. He said upon that confession, the gates of hell shall not prevail. So when I look out and I see that for all purposes and intents from what I can see, the gates of hell are prevailing. The question is, the, the question is, uh, is why? right and it's not god's fault because it is not god's will and i believe that it is the church's fault because we are responsible to seek him for for change right and god answers the prayers of his people and it, we we've read it so many times in in second chronicles 7:14 if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves pray turn from their wicked ways seek my face i will hear from heaven and answer their cry so when i look out and i see the world in the state that it is i see that we as believers are not praying let your kingdom come because he says that if we will pray that he will do it 
And so there is a responsibility on me that I pray, that I seek for his kingdom, that I don't just take it for granted that his kingdom is going to come. Because if we, you know what? We're not going to, we are in partnership with him. We are, we, we are ambassadors of the Lord. We are emissaries of his kingdom. He does not live here in flesh and blood. We live here in flesh and blood and we rub shoulders with other people of flesh and blood. And it is our job to be ambassadors of the kingdom, not only by the words that we speak, but by what they can see in our lives, that they can see that there's something different in us. And so, so again, when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom, uh, again, a very important part of, of true prayer, in my opinion. And again, not all prayers when we pray will consist of all these things, right? I'm just saying that this is the perfect prayer. This is the, this, this prayer has all the elements that if, if you're saying, Lord, teach me how to pray. Or Lord, I don't know how to pray. Or Lord, I don't know what to pray. This prayer, this example that Jesus gives is a template that, that covers all the bases. It really does. There is nothing that Jesus left out of this prayer, right? As an example. As an example. So again, I, I think that it is important for us as believers to pray for his kingdom to come. Because there is a devil out there who is stealing, who is killing, and destroying. And he wants to wipe the name of Jesus off the face of the earth. And I think that we as a church, to in a large degree, have abdicated our rights to be, um, to be a part of his kingdom and a part of ushering that kingdom in. And, 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 and the thing is, is when I say that, because I know that there, there are some um, ministries, there are churches that, that teach on, on this you know, the Lord's kingdom and stuff like that. And when they teach on it, what they're teaching is they're teaching miracles. They're teaching signs and wonders and stuff. The biggest gift that God gave to mankind was salvation Amen. above any other thing, right? Amen. Now, I believe in healing. I believe in, in, in prophecies. I believe in, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, and... Um, you know, even in, in Peter where it says, um, where it talks about by his stripes you're healed and stuff like that. So many people use that and they talk about that being as uh, for physical healing. If you go out and you look at that scripture in context, you'll see that more than anything, even though it does include physical healing, more than anything, it, it was talking about spiritual healing, right? Because mankind has a disease that is called sin. Right. And I can get into heaven missing an arm, but I can't get into heaven without salvation. Right. And so Jesus, when he came on the earth, he does want to bless people. He does want to heal people and all that kind of stuff. But his main concern is the gospel. His main concern is salvation. People, you again, you can you can be deaf, but but love Jesus with all your heart. Right. You, you can have a, a, a heart condition. condition, but still love Jesus with all your heart. And you know that when you die, you're going to spend an eternity with him. That is so far above a physical healing, right? Amen. 
Does Jesus care about physical healings? Yes, he does. But far more interested in that is spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the kingdom of God coming to the earth, the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. All right? It doesn't say it's a physical thing. It says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus cast out demons, he said, When I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom has come near you. Now again, this is a spiritual thing. The kingdom of God is spiritual. And again, some people, some, a lot of believers want to build a physical kingdom on the earth want physical realities and, and you know we want to legislate everything and we want we want our government to be this physical kingdom on earth and we want it, we want all these physical things. It's not about that. It's about taking one person and changing that person's life. And again, it's not just making converts. Jesus did not say go out and make converts. He said go out and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is not someone that just comes and prays the sinner's prayer and goes to church every Sunday from that from there on out and maybe pays his tithes. A disciple is somebody who is sitting at the feet of the master and becoming more and more like the master himself. And that is being duplicated and duplicated and duplicated. And that is the kingdom of God. And so when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the power of a transformed life, right? And when, and Jesus, it's, and when the light of Jesus is within, it will shine without and stuff. And when the kingdom, and that's what, again, that's what Jesus envisioned when he died on the cross, was for us to be torches, right? And for me to stand next to this person and my torch set this person on fire and that person to stand next to another person and their torch set that person on fire, pretty soon the whole world is burning with love for Jesus, right? And again, if you even if you look at uh, revivals in the old days, Jonathan Edwards, uh, he, he led the Great Awakening in the 1700s and stuff. He was completely, completely against emotionalism. And I'm not saying that God doesn't, you know, where there's not a joy and there's not emotions because there will be and so. But emotionalism is not from God. Emotionalism is a substitute from Satan, right? And Jesus is not here to, to give you goosebumps. No, he's not here to make the hair on the uh, back of your neck stand up or, or, or all that stuff. Now, there may be some of that included, but more than anything, it's about having your eyes opened so you can see that who God truly is and your life be completely transformed. And now you're fully in love with him, right? So. I love that multiplication because doesn't it um, talk about the kingdom multiplying and how you were saying we make disciples and then those, then as we become true disciples, then we make more disciples. And it just reminds me when he was talking about the sowing of the seeds and he was talking about the kingdom of heaven in the parable of the sowing of the seeds and the multiplication and stuff yeah 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 and that, and again that's the thing is like um i had something in my mind but I'm i sorry. lost it but that but again that's the thing is like uh we're, you know uh, so many people you know there are churches and that's what's wrong with the seeker friendly church now in 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 theory i i agree with it to an extent and that like there's nothing wrong with making the gospel 
approachable, approachable or likable and, and stuff like that. There's nothing, and the Bible says it takes wisdom to win souls. So there's nothing wrong with getting your fish in the net. But once you get the fish in the net, then what do you do? Then you clean them, right? You prepare them and stuff. You don't just leave the fish as they are in the nets and stuff. And that's the whole thing. Um, moving on. He says, did you say something? No. No. Okay. Fish. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So, okay, so again, there is a place in prayer where we're asking God for our needs, right? And there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, please understand when I say this is not this uh, religious thing. It's not a box where every time you pray, you got to, oh, dang, I, I, I left out this part. Or I left out, you know, the kingdom part. Or I left out the, you know what I'm saying? It's not like that at all, okay? So I'm just saying that the the... You know, sometimes there's nothing wrong with sometimes sitting down. That's the, that's the problem with us as believers, especially charismatic believers, is because everything that we do, we want to be led by the Spirit, right? We want to, oh, it's like, how's the Lord leading me right now? The Lord's leading me to pray for my neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you use your mind too, right? And it's okay to use your mind. And it's okay to sit and be intentional about what you're doing. It's okay to sometimes even plan what you're going to do. It's, so, it's okay to like say, okay, you know what? This time when I'm praying, I'm going to really spend a lot of time praying for, for God's kingdom. I'm going to really spend a lot of time praying for the lost. And, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse. But again, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it says, give us today the, our daily bread. Turn to, uh, in Matthew 6, verse uh, 33, it says, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Right? And again, we read in the very beginning that it is, that the Lord knows what we need before we even ask, right? And so when we come to him and we know that he already knows what we need and, and you know, and you read verses like Matthew six thirty three that say, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Uh, in Psalm 37, verse four, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? And so again, God wants to give us our desires. He wants to give us the good things. But the thing is, is he's not some God He's not some butler in the sky that's there to give us our greeds. He's there to give us our needs. Does that make yeah, sense? That makes sense. And, and the thing is, 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 is God wants to give us things and he wants to bless us and, and stuff. But sometimes it's not in the way that we think, right? Again, you, you look at some of the greatest saints in the history of the world have been dirt poor and had nothing to give but they were like the widow with the might you know she put in everything that she had and it wasn't anything compared to the, you know all the pharisees are standing around looking and all these guys are rich right all these guys are wealthy and everything they have everything that they need and stuff like that and they see her put her might in there and they're like Shh, look at this woman and stuff all right it's like the little kid who brought the, the, the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. And, he, you know, can you imagine when the kid gives him these loaves? He's like, he looks at the multitude and he's like, you know what? All I got is these little fish and, you know, these pieces of bread. And so I don't know if you can do with it. And Jesus takes it and multiplies it and feeds it to everyone. All right? And that's the nature of his kingdom. He can take so little and multiply it. Amen. Are you, are you saying something, Christy? 
I think you're on mute. Oh, okay. Oh. I think you're on mute. No, that's fine. Oh, there you I go. Need to be on mute. Oh. <laughs> I just, sometimes I'm singing and sometimes I'm worshiping. And <laughs> okay. And that and that's the thing. It's like, like even like you know, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago. Just like with the, you know, all this coronavirus thing going on and stuff, and you know, I look at what God's been doing for Amy and I, and I almost feel guilty because. I've I've worked the whole time. Um, Amy's worked a lot of the time and stuff. And, and not only that, but at, at my work, they're giving us like $2 more an hour, you know, just because we're working and stuff. And, and so God has been there for us. And, and the Bible is very clear that um, God is there for his people, right? And and He he is concerned with us he's concerned with our needs and stuff and you know and he 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 blesses us and like i say we haven't missed a single meal we've got a roof over our heads we've got two car we got two cars one of them's working really well and and you know the other one hopefully will be working soon too and stuff you know according to the rest of the world we're rich yeah we are rich and so God cares about us, but he says, seek first my kingdom. Because again, it's a matter of priorities and stuff. And, and that's what's wrong with this wealth gospel and stuff. It's like they're seeking their own kingdom. Mm-hmm. And they're wanting God to bless that. And God doesn't tell us to seek our kingdom. He says, seek my kingdom. Amen. And then all these other things will be added to you. And says, then I will give you the desires of your heart. And the thing is, is if you're seeking his kingdom, the desires of your heart is not necessarily going to be a $5 million house. Right. Right. If you're seeking his kingdom, your desires may be, man, I wish I could get my neighbor a car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or my neighbor down the street can't hardly feed her kids. I wish I could give her 200 bucks to go buy groceries. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if I'm seeking the kingdom of God, my desires are going to be his desires. Because he shares his heart with me because I'm seeking him. And that's how the kingdom works. The kingdom doesn't work about, Lord, I I need a new jet today. You know, I've got three jets already. I need a new one because the other ones aren't fast enough. (laughs) Right? And that's, it is, it is so backwards. It's so topsy-turvy. And so. I want to go ride in our jet. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. In verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And uh, we've, we've talked about it many times and stuff. God, um, if, if you don't forgive others, look, look at verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. And so God is very adamant in that. And it, again, it's not some formula. It's like it's not like Lord, I forgave that person at work. Does that does that mean I can get away with something now? It's not like that at all, right? It's like Matthew 18, where it talked about the the two the two debtors, right? The man was rich and stuff, and he he owed this enormous debt, and his master forgave him. And then he had a servant that owned him, you know, like five bucks or something. And then he goes out and begins to beat him and, and want his money back immediately and stuff. And Jesus says, you know, he says, um, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? 
And the thing of it is, is we all are the one that was forgiven much. Right? Remember the, the prostitute that, that wept on Jesus' feet and poured the alabaster jar and then wiped it with her, with her hair and stuff like that? And, and the Pharisees were saying, Lord, if you knew what kind of sinner this was, you wouldn't even let her touch you. And Jesus said, those who are being forgiven much, love much. So again, it, it, it really comes down to, again, when we find ourselves in a place of unforgiveness, when we find ourselves in a place where we're being bitter against people, where we're being unforgiven, then we have forgotten what we've been forgiven of, right? Because if I know, the, and believe me, I know the stuff that God forgave me of, right? And if God can forgive me of things like that, then there should be nothing that I can forgive someone else of. And that, you know, and it's just like we talked about before in, in second, or first Peter three, it says, uh, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. And again, this is not some formula. It's being like Jesus is, right? And that's the whole thing. Again, when we come and, and there's true prayer in the presence of Lord of the Lord, and we're truly coming before him with a right heart, a right attitude, that with true prayer, it changes us. Right? Because what we're doing is, again, we're spending time in his presence. And when we spend time in his presence, when we leave, we're going to be changed. It's just like Moses when he when he came and he spent time on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. When he came down, his face shone with the glory of the Lord. And the, what's cool about that is he didn't know. And that's the beauty of it is when we spend time in the presence of the Lord, when we soak in His presence and and we and we and we're not rushing it. And 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 honestly, I need prayer for this because I so often I just rush through prayer and stuff like that. But when we come into his presence and we're just like, Lord, I just want to be with you because you are the lover of my soul. And that's, you know, we, a lot of times it's, you know, from time to time, it's good to read song of songs and just the relationship between the lover and the bride and how her soul, her soul just longed to be with him and how he longed to be with her and stuff because it's such a perfect picture of what true prayer is. Because it is that time of spending with Him and, and, and getting to know Him and Him getting to know us. And is, there's an impartation that happens. And by impartation, I don't mean like some gifts where, you're, where your hand's on fire and you can, you know, do miracles and stuff like that. I'm talking about an impartation of His nature and of His character. The way He is, then that's the way that we become. Amen? Um, and, and again, it's, um, it's like the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan, like, it, you know, it's so easy in this world to be jaded. It's so easy in this world to see people with problems, to see people with, with bad circumstances, and just continue on our way. And, you know, it talks about how the priest did that, the Levite did that, the holy men, the ones that should have been the most concerned with the man that was beaten and left for dead were the ones that just passed him by. And the one that stopped was a Samaritan who these people wouldn't even, you know, they hated the Samaritans. They, the, to them, the Samaritans were unclean. They were, they were, they were lower than, you know, than whatever and stuff. And again, 
God loves the humble. God loves those who are willing to lay aside their own selves, who are willing, and, and again, this applies in prayer. When we're willing to lay aside our own time, time that we'd rather be doing something else, time that we'd you know, rather watch a movie, time that we'd rather go do you know, whatever and stuff. When we're willing to sit there and lay aside that time and, and not only lay it aside, but say, you know what? And I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna take my time with you, Lord. I'm not gonna rush through this. I'm not just I'm not gonna come say my quick prayers and, and be done, but I'm just gonna spend time soaking in your presence. So moving on. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In verse 13, he says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, turn to James 1, chapter th verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. And again, when, when I was preparing this, I was kind of fearful that it would, it, that it would sound kind of trite, you know, that it would sound kind of formulaic and, and things like that. But I think that if, if you listen with spiritual ears and we really, you know, take this to heart, I think that it can be powerful. Uh, and in James 1, 13, he says, lead us not into temptation. And I know when I first, when I, you know, when I was a kid and we'd pray that prayer and stuff, I'd be like, what is God gonna bring me into temptation? Is you know is God gonna lead me into this place where I'm being tempted and stuff? And in James one, he says, let in verse thirteen he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. Look at this, he says, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved children. Turn to Psalm 23, verse 1. So, again, you know, that that's just Satan, right? Because who is the tempter? Satan, right? If, if we're being tempted, it's not by God. It's by Satan. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, this is where God leads us, right? Satan leads us into temptation. Satan tried to lead Jesus into temptation. But in verse 1 of Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Look at this. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so... If I find myself being led into sin, it's not because Jesus led me there, right? I can't look to this prayer and say, well, God led me into sin. And the Bible says if we're tempted when we're led astray by our own lusts. Um, we're tempted when we listen to the voice of the tempter, right? And that's the thing. We, 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 we have choices. Whenever we're faced with temptation, every time we're faced with temptation, we are faced with a choice. What are you going to give in to? Paul told Timothy to flee, to flee, sorry, to flee from youthful lusts, right? Just like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He didn't sit there and, and, and talk to the temptation. He didn't say, maybe I'm stronger than you or, or I'm going to try to over... He fled from it. And the problem with us as believers is too often there's a large part of us who like the temptation, right? It's like if a, if a, if a, a pretty girl or a good-looking guy, you know, is flirting with you, um, for most of us, there's, there's a part of in us that's kind of flattered by that, right? 
and stuff. And that's the way sin is. Sometimes sin comes and bats its eyes at us or, or you know, flatters us and stuff like that. And there's a part in our hearts that kind of goes off to it. There's a part in our hearts that's like, hmm, that, that seems kind of good and stuff. And so we are faced at that moment with, with, with making a choice, whether I'm going to listen to the tempter or whether I'm going to listen to Jesus, whether I'm going to stay on the straight and narrow way and follow the shepherd because I know his voice and I'm going to follow him or whether I'm going to follow the voice of Satan, right? Because again, the thing is, is, is if we stay on the path, God is going to lead us. And sometimes, you know, when you're in that place of temptation, sometimes we need to pray, God, I need strength right now. I am being tempted and there's something inside my heart that loves this. There's something in my heart that wants to give into the temptation and I need your strength. And what does the Bible say? It says resist or submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so, you know, a lot of times uh, we try to resist the devil without submitting to God, you know, and stuff. And so I think that that's what this prayer is saying. And turn back to Matthew chapter 6, is when he's saying that, he's saying that what we're doing is we're, when we're praying, we're praying, we're not praying so much that God protects me tempt from temptation because we are all going to experience temptation. And if you've been a Christian for 100 years, if you've been a Christian for, tw you know, 10 years, if you've been a Christian for 10 minutes, you will be faced by temptation. I don't care who you are. You will be faced by temptation. But when we come to the Lord and we submit ourselves to Him and we're honest with Him and we say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through. And there is a part of me that wants to give in to this. And I pray, Lord, that you would take that from my heart. That you would change that part of me that loves this sin. And like right now, Lord, I'm submitting to you and I am resisting them temptation. And God will give you victory. Know what I'm saying? And the thing is, is again, for, for some of us that are bound in sin, you know what I'm saying? Some of us that have uh, like besetting things, some of us that, again, have spent years giving ourselves over to those things. Sometimes we fall, Right? But then we get back up and we say, Lord, you, you, we come to the Lord and we're honest with him. We repent of those things. We're like, Lord, I blew it. Um, there's no excuse. I, you know, it's, you know, and just come to him and honestly and just pray for strength to overcome. What happens is we begin to fall less and less and we begin to be stronger and stronger. And pretty soon the things that so easily trapped us up before we're, we're, you know, are not anymore because again, we are being made into the nature and character of God. When we're spending time in his presence, when we're coming to him, he's rubbing off on us. Again, it's the whole example of like, like uh, when you see someone that you know, get around a, a friend that they know, and then all of a sudden they start talking like their friend or they start, you know, having the mannerisms of their friend or whatever. Or, or what have you and stuff. And that's the way it is. When we spend time with the Lord, we start talking like Him. His mannerisms start rubbing off on us. And we start thinking like Him. And we start acting like Him and stuff. And that's why it is so critical. And it is so important for us to spend time with Him. Not only in prayer, but also in His Word. Right? 
And a lot of times, again, when we study his word, if you know, it, we should do it prayerfully, right? Um, you know, there are lots of lots of people throughout history who would, whenever they studied the word, they would actually study it on their knees. And I'm not saying that we necessarily need to do that, but when we're reading the word, look like. We're doing it not, again, as a religious activity or I'm just reading, I'm reading through Genesis right now or something like that. But it's like, Lord, teach me, instruct me through this word, this word that I'm reading right now. Let it not be just some dead letter. Let it not be, let me not read the first paragraph and have to go back and read it again because I didn't even catch any of it. But be with me as I read this. Instruct me through your Holy Spirit. Give me your wisdom. Unlock the secrets of your word. Jeremiah 3.33 says, Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There are things that we don't know about God. There are things that we won't know about God until we begin to seek him through his word, through in a prayerful, in a, a you know, in a just seeking him. Right. And he reveals himself to us. And again, that's that's why where so many of us get off is because like a lot of us are into the spiritual things of praying and through worship and things like that. But but we have no foundation in the word. And so we're led astray by things that feel like God, but if you were to read the if you were to read your, his his word, you would go, hey, that's not really how God operates, right? And stuff. And so those two things have to go hand in hand. Amen. Um. So again, Paul told Timothy to flee from youthful lusts and stuff. And and so and the thing is, is the it's our responsibility to follow where the shepherd leads, right? The shepherd leads. But it's the responsibility of the sheep to follow him. If I go off and wander off on my own, that's not his fault. That's my fault. He says, follow me, right? And his light is a lamp unto our feet and, and unto our path and stuff. And so he gives us what we need to follow him. But, you know, if I go off and do my own thing, that's not on him. That's on me, right? So continuing on. It says, and so he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And again, the, so he ends again with worship and focusing on who God is. And I just love this because he, he comes into the presence of the Lord with worship and prayer and adoration and worship and, and thankfulness. And that's the way he leaves also. Again, uh, it's like when, when, when you're kids and you ask your, your dad for the keys to the car and he gives you the keys and you're like, thanks, and you're gone, right? And stuff. And the picture, again, is one of someone's like, man, I just love you. I, I thank you for the things that you do for me. I thank you that even though you don't have to do these things for me, that you love me and that you care about me and that you do do these things for me. And again, it's also putting in our mind, turn to Psalm chapter 2 and we'll end there. But again, it's also reminding ourselves of who he is and that he is God and we're not, that he is in control and he's not. And when I pray, I'm not just coming to him and giving him my list and saying, Lord, I need you to fill this list for me. I need you to answer all these things and give me all my things and, you know, and then I'll be, I'll be out of here. But I'm coming before the Lord Almighty. And in Psalm 2, again, it just gives a great picture of who God is. Because again, I mean, 
there there is something to the to the thing that yes he's our father and and he loves us and you know he's our our abba and our daddy and stuff like that but at the same time there has to be a reverence there has to be a respect and there has to be an awe because he is not like us he is so far above us and he is so different from us and it's good to remind ourselves of that and in Psalm 2 verse 1 it says why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us he who sits in the heavens laughs the Lord scoffs at them I, I think that's awesome it's, it's kind of like what Ruth was talking about last week about like when Elijah's pouring the water on the altar and stuff like that and and all the other the the guys worshiping their false gods and are cutting themselves and and stuff like that and Elijah's mocking them he's like well maybe your gods went to the bathroom maybe maybe your gods taking a break today or whatever God scoffs at, at sinners right I mean the world and all their pride the world and all their wisdom the world and all their knowledge thinking that they're so high and they're you know they're building this tower into heaven and things like that God scoffs at them and God is not threatened by the world I mean I look at this world and sometimes I'm like oh my god it's so terrible and it's so bad and stuff God looks at it and he's like this is nothing right says the Lord scoffs at them he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying that as for me I've installed my king upon Zion my holy mountain and again I just think that's awesome is that God is in control God is on the throne and the things that shake us don't shake him coronavirus doesn't shake him right all this stuff that we see and you know we see it in the news every day you know it's this bad and all this is bad and stuff like that God is not shaken and he is he the, the the Bible says that he has a kingdom that will not be shaken because it's not of this earth yeah and and I had a friend who was like um, you know like when when they were in the boat and there was the storm and everything that like Jesus wasn't down there freaking out about the storm Right, like, you know, yeah, he wasn't. You know, he he he, he criticized the disciples for freaking out. Yeah, he was sleeping. He he was kind of perturbed that they woke him up. <laughs> you know, and and that's the thing is that like our God is in control, and that's the beauty of it is to know that when I pray, I'm praying to the God who is in control of over over all of it. And, and um, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, again, Satan would try to make us think that, you know, that there's no hope and, and that things are dark and things are bad and stuff like that. God is going to move. And God moves in answer to, his, to the prayers of his people. And the prayers of his people are powerful. It's just like it talks about in Revelation how... Um, they took the the vial and poured it on the altar and it rose with smoke and stuff and talks about how it was with the prayers of the saints and so we have to realize that our prayers have power 
our prayers. And it, it, it is, again, it's not us claiming anything. It's not like me claiming that, you know, things are going to happen or me, or me speaking that, you know, well, the kingdom, you know, the government's going to suddenly turn righteous and, you know, start giving, you know, stop treating people bad and declaring that all of a sudden everybody's going to get. It's not any of that at all. It's me seeking the Lord and it's him in answer to our prayers, right? God is the one that commands, not us. Amen? Amen. Joel, that's all.